What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Theda, how you doing? Welcome to the platform. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good, you know. I, mean, just, I was told there would be pizza. I see, and, you know. Uh, there's not, uh, there's not any. So it's I not. Feel, it's I kind of feel like I'm here under false pretenses. It's, it's not any. It's not any physical pizza, you know. But spiritually, you're gonna get fed, you know. <laughs> okay. All right. No, no, but no, but look, just but I can. I ain't gonna say it now. But we got a, we got a, we got a pizza deal coming, you know. I tell it to you about off camera. But it ain't gonna help you now. But it's not gonna help you right now. But in the future, though, <laughs> it's gonna help you. In the future, it's gonna help you. Trust me, it's gonna help you in the future. But uh, but I'm doing great, either. You know, I just you know instead of outside of people, you know, shaking me down for some pizza, you know, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, I'm I'm really excited about this conversation because you've been doing this this work, this community work, this organizing, this fighting for justice. You know. For a long time. Um, and so I want to start at the beginning. Oh, God. Yeah, I want to start at the beginning. Um, what, you know, what inspired you? What led you to get into the to the work that you're currently doing? You no, know, you, you want to go back to the beginning. Yeah, I want to go back to the beginning because how many people know about the beginning? I don't know about the beginning. You know, give us more than, you know, you, we know we can read your bio. We know, but we want, <laughs> we want some, some details of how you know you you got into the work and you know so I, I feel like I was born into it. Mm. So we're gonna talk about the beginning. We gotta yeah. talk about my mama. Yeah. Ever Smith Murphy, who um hmm, she was a hell of a woman. And she is definitely the reason I am the way I am today. Mm. So um, you know, I was born in Chicago and she used to take me to Operation Push meetings. Uh, wow. She was with uh, Reverend Jackson and take me there and we and I and I was there listening to to them talk about I am somebody. Right. And uh those are my earliest memories. So I have no choice but to be what I am. Right. Right now. Right. And so what is like one of your fondest moments of your mom then? That you could, that you remember, like they said, man, my mama really, she's she's that one. I remember her. Um, I mean, she was the she was the one who organized the neighborhood, so she would have block parties. Wow. She would organize block parties. Uh, we lived on the west side of Chicago, and so I remember those block parties where everybody. Everybody was out there. Mm -hmm. And whenever anybody had any issue in the neighborhood, they were coming to talk to her. Mm. So those are my earliest memories of my mom, really. And I don't think she really saw herself as organizing the community. Right. Um, she was just doing what she thought was right. Right. But she was organizing the community. What was some of the like? Because you know it's challenges mm -hmm. to organize. It ain't always pretty. It ain't it ain't it ain't always easy. So what were some of the challenges you think you seen your mom face? Like being that that community builder, being that person that that you know people came to to talk to when it was an issue or like something needed to happen. Like so when we moved to Arkansas, which you know that's that's now the South, right? And she's still. Um, doing community community minded things um she would get in trouble at her job for advocating for the people that she worked with so she was a social worker mm. so she her first job when we moved to arkansas was as a substance abuse counselor um working with uh people who were you know, poor and in the community. Right. And so she would advocate for them, and she would get in trouble with her bosses. Mm. And, uh, you know, was afraid of losing her job. And I think eventually she did lose that job. 
because she advocated so hard for the people that she worked for. So she set that example for me. Mm. You grew up any siblings? Yes, I'm the youngest of many. Oh, and the youngest. Yes. <laughs> Of many and cousins like who are like siblings, right? Yes, and nephews and nieces who are like siblings. Well, so there are a lot of us. What would what would they say about a young a young Theta Murphy? I didn't say anything. I was very quiet. Well, well, I stayed to myself. What would they What would they say about you? That was they, they, you just stayed to yourself. I stayed to myself. They would tell me I needed to speak up more. So how did you go from not speaking up to now? Yeah, your voice is pretty powerful. You don't you don't hold back now. <laughs> yeah, hell of a transformation. <laughs> I guess my genes kicked in at some point. <laughs> and so, um, you went to Fisk. Yes, I went to Oakwood for my undergrad. You went to Oakwood for undergrad. Mm-hmm. Oakwood in what's that? Huntsville. Huntsville. Mm-hmm. It's now Oakwood University. Oh, okay. How well? So, so at this point. What what do you what is a young theater you know she's 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 in she's in college, you know what where's your mind at at this? Point? That was uh, the furthest I'd been away from home. Okay. Um, my mother was okay with me going there because uh, you know Oakwood is a Seventh Day Adventist school. We were Seventh Day Adventists, and so you know she could kind of keep an eye on me there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, she wouldn't let me go too far away. Now, mm-hmm. She was teaching at uh, UAPB, University of Arkansas, Pine Bluff. I was not going to go there. Mm. So the, so Oakwood was the compromise. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so. What, what was you studying? At that time, I was studying accounting. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so Oakwood was like my first um, experience with black people who were from all over. Okay. So that just changed my whole point of view of what it means to be black. What did you, what did you mean? What did you think it meant before then? Um you know, I had been very sheltered and very so you know, I only knew People, um, when we were in Chicago, I was so young, I only knew my family, really. Right. And uh, people at church. And then when we moved to Arkansas, I only knew, you know, Southern southern black people. Right. So when I first met people, you know, from um, the Caribbean. Right. Or from even from Europe, from England, I was like, black people talk like that? <laughs> right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. No. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no, I, I understand, yeah, you know, especially if you've never been exposed to it, right? Right. Like, wait a minute now, that accent a little different. <laughs> and so, at, at at this time, you know, you picked accounting. Why, why did you, like, why, why accounting? Why, what made you? So, at that point, I was trying to differentiate myself from my mother, who's a social worker. Right. So, uh, accounting, you know. We could, you, I could get a good job, paying job, doing accounting. Right. Um, and I was trying not to go into social work or do that kind of stuff. You was fighting I was it. Trying, I was fighting it. Why was you fighting it? I just, but just because you didn't I, want the. I, 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 I don't even know, but I was. I was trying to be myself. Right. Yes. <laughs> you was fighting to be. You was fighting not to be yourself. It seemed like <laughs> yeah. that. What it seemed like. Yeah. And so, yeah. is it so? Is that you graduated with an accounting? I graduated from an accounting degree. Wow! My first job was with the IRS in Atlanta. Okay. Um, and I became a CPA. Wow! You were used on the whole career path. I was on the whole career path, but you know, IRS—they're assholes to everybody. <laughs> They're not just assholes to, to people who, right. who have to file taxes. They're right. assholes to the people who work for them. Right. So, so you say I, you couldn't you couldn't do after that after a while. I couldn't do that. Okay. So where you, where you are mentally now? Like you just like okay now I want to go back to school or yes that's when I ended up at Fisk because I was changing careers at that point. Okay. What did yeah. you? What so did I you? majored in psychology at Fisk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So now you here in Fisk. You now you you know. Jubilee Singers, Freedom Riders, you know. Um, I worked at Race Relations Institute with Dr. Wimbush. So, hey, so you know then, yes. you know. Um, 
So here you are. Um, what 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 impact did Fitz have on your life? Um, I learned a lot when I worked at Race Relations. Um, because as you know, Race Relations back in the late 90s was probably the only place in Nashville where, where we could have really honest conversations about race. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't afraid of repercussions, right. um, much to the chagrin to the, of the administration at Fisk. We would talk about anything. Right. So um, I got a chance to really, really um, see how the politics of power work mm-hmm. and racial dynamics in those situations and really start um, honing my, um, my own political framework right. that I would work from. So um, I would say that uh, race relations with Dr. Wimbush at the, as a director was definitely black nationalist. Okay. Um, and pan-Africanist. All right. And so, and we were pushing reparations. So those are the type of things that, that really um, shaped me. How, how did you, what was, what, was, what was the biggest difference between theater in Huntsville and theater in Nashville? <laughs> Besides being older. Besides being older. Like, because <laughs> cause clearly, right, there was a, it was a mental shift. Right, drastically, right from right. accounting. Right, I went. And, I went through some. I went through some things. Yeah, in Atlanta. I went through some things. You went through. <laughs> I went through some things. <laughs> that's, that's hey, that's what it takes. Usually, it takes some going through some things. You like, hold on, wait a minute. I need to through some things that involved that involved boyfriends and you know. Mm, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's, that's what that's what's that's your rite of passage as a young black woman, right? Right. Um. So when I moved here, I was um, much more independent. By the time I left Fisk, I was no longer Christian. Mm. Um, I was, I connected with the Ifa community in oh. Nashville. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I started studying with them. And so I've been, I've been rolling with them since uh, 2001, really. Okay. So more than 20 years yeah 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 so that's that's probably the biggest shift and and how did this started affecting like i guess your career path um my choice of of um religious expression was definitely political because you know i feel like Almost everything I do as a black woman is political anyway. Right, yeah. So if I am choosing to to live my full life and be my full self, mm-hmm. it's a political decision. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going for it. Right. I mean, you, y'all going to have opinions about how I live my life and what I do. So, you know, fuck it. I'm right. going to live my life the way I want to live it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so. Um, and so and so at that point, and so because, so. I believe everybody that has that type of mentality, whenever they come into that type of mentality, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they're rebellious. I'm going to be my complete full self. You know, come to understand that, like, professionally, mm-hmm. is there consequences, repercussions, I suppose, right? If you want to, to for lack of a better usage, right? Mm-hmm. Because we know some employers, some organizations uh, want you to conform. Yes. Right? They prefer you perform, they try to convince you to conform. And these things might be in subtle ways or maybe, you know, they might be overt or covert. They might just straight out tell you, hey, mm-hmm. I want you to cut your hair. Mm-hmm. I want you to shave your beard. I want you to dress this way. Or it may just be subtle things like, oh, hey, do you, you know, you know, um, do you plan on wearing this all the time? Or, you know, um, you know, uh, you have other pants. We know these microaggressions that might happen. So when I switched careers, mm-hmm. um, went from the corporate accounting career to um, to working in community mental health. So my first job was with the police department. So, which was not as much of a problem as you would think 
because at the time, uh, the person who was over behavioral health was Dr. Lorraine Green. Okay. And Dr. Green, if you know anything, if you remember Dr. Green, and she is no longer with us, um, she was a revolutionary. And so being in that department with her where I learned so much, um, I did not have a problem with her. She had a problem with the rest of the department. Mm. But any hits that were coming, because she was the type of, of boss that she was, she took those hits. I didn't have to take them. Right. And... Um, I appreciated that, and I and I respected her for what she was attempting to do in the police department. And if anybody could do that type of counseling or community work in the police department, it would have been her. And it wasn't working, which showed me that 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 is not the place for right. that type of uh, the police should not be involved in any type of mental health. Um, and I learned that, you know, watching her try to make it work right? and getting all the pushback that she got. Right. Well, you know, there's a, there's a program out there <laughs> right now <laughs> where it's mental health and police are, you know, are working together. I know. Um, here in Nashville. Um what most people don't know about that program is that there are already counselors within the police department. When I was there in the early 90s, they were already trying to reform the police by bringing in mental health. And it didn't do shit. It didn't change anything about the culture. Mm. It didn't help um, anybody. We were very limited in what we could do for people. Right. And the reason that is is because everything we do was med was mediated by uh, the police department culture. It was mediated right. by the police department. So they would de would determine who was worthy of treatment. Right. And that should never be. Right. You know, that should not be, be something that's, that's gatekept by them. And that's why it didn't work. Why do you feel that um, as a nation, and I would even say as a city here in Nashville, that there seems to be an agenda um, or push to have police involved in like, money. everything. Money. Money. So if you remember when we, when we first, very first, pre-pandemic 2019, talking about the police department and mental health, mm -hmm. their, their line was, well, we're not social workers. We shouldn't be expected to do that. And so... Those of us who were pushing invest, divest, otherwise known as defund the police, a term that I do not like, um, we're saying, okay, then let's invest in mental health. Hey, right. And then it became very clear that when we said invest in mental health, we meant money. Right. And so now they're not giving up any money. So now they want to be social workers. Right. Because they don't want to give up the money. Right. And that's all it is. Because um, they will do anything to keep their budget from being cut. And, and the thing about it is, I look at it. Okay, have, have, have the budget. Whatever your budget. But fund things. Just fund the other stuff. Right, fund fund other programs. Right, that don't mean your budget. Your budget can stay the same. Do do what y'all do. But they can't because we're talking about a limited amount of money. Right. So if you are going to adequately fund social goods, mm -hmm. their budget is going to have to be cut. That's well, they, just they, a reality. They find a way to. My thing is, I they find a way to fund other things and not cut stuff all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they magically money appears. Uh, well. Well, you know? and their answer to this so far has been to build a whole hospital, but it's in the jail. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And they come up with all these lovely little specialty courts in which you can be diverted into treatment, but you got to get arrested. Mm. You know? Um, and now they're talking about building this big juvenile jail instead of just building 
a, a, a center in the community right. where, where the kids are not involved with the courts, where right. police are not involved, right. instead of doing that, and where the threat of incarceration is not hanging over it. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you like the, the phrase defund the police? Because I'm an abolitionist. So if, just get rid of it. Well, fuck them. So, <laughs> so, this is going to get spicy now. <laughs> I truly believe, this is just, I don't have any facts to back this up. But I think that more people want police than don't want police. I know. Right? I know that, that not very many people are, are abolitionists with me. Right. And... And and I'm not sure. I would. I don't know if I'm an abolitionist. I know something needs to change, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it may be just from I might be um, a, a, a a prisoner of of the of the system too when it comes to thinking about okay, if we don't have police, what what, what do, do we, we have? have? Right. That's that's always the the hang right. up. That's the hang up. Right. That's the hang up. That's the hang. What do we have? Because um, we know what what's. We know what we have now ain't working. Right. We know that, right? We know, we know that, that. But we don't have anything else in place. Right. So I take it seriously that our job as abolitionists is to start building those alternative structures. Right. And to show people that they do work. And so is community policing, is that an alternative structure in your No, that was a, a failed reform. We've already tried that. Okay. <laughs> okay. We need to go back to that. So what are have you thought about some other ways or are there other programs that are in pilot phases in other parts of the city or the world that you know that community is experiencing like hey like what if we don't have police in this traditional way involved in our community Yeah there are um other abolitionists in other cities who right. are who are grappling with this problem um Mainly where where it has been coalescing is around mental health. Okay. Um, and I think mainly because that's the easiest thing to conceptualize. Okay. Uh, before you go to anything else, it's easy to for people to say, yeah, police shouldn't be involved in mental health crisis. Um, and so in Nashville, there are two different um, community-based initiatives that are happening. Um, I know you're familiar with the Noah Heels initiative. Right. That's one. And then there's the um, initiative that is run by the group that I worked with, the Nashville Community Crisis Response. And um, Nashville Community Crisis Response is trying to really come up with some alternatives that are truly based in the community, accountable to the community, that doesn't become another um, another part of the nonprofit industrial complex, which is also a thing. A thing, for sure. Yes, yeah. um, because what happens with that is that they get accountable to their board and their funders, and their board and their funders don't live in the community, so right. we, we have to come up with something that's in the community. Right. So that's why we are doing a community-based survey mm-hmm. in which we're trying to get input from the people who are most impacted right. and go from there and develop a, a okay. model from that. Okay. Yeah. Um, is there is there drastic differences or significant differences between Heels model, which was a branch off of Cahoots? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Then within what you all are doing? Yes, because they... Noah, who's working on that, has pretty much decided that they want to they want to base their model on the Cahoots model. Right. And um, Nashville Community Crisis, we've talked to the people in Eugene, and we feel like there's probably some good things about that model. Mm-hmm. But Eugene is very different from Nashville. Right. So we are also talking to people in other places, like in New Orleans. Okay. Um, in Chicago. Um, places where... Um, those communities, their their experience and relationship with the police uh, is is about like ours. It's it's not it's contentious, right? And not not trustworthy. So they really right. are trying to come up with with something that does not involve police. 
Now, I want to go back to um, talk a little bit about the organization that you're a co-director of, mm-hmm. uh, No Exceptions Prison Collective. Yes. A collaborating towards abolition and liberation. Yes. You know, I love that. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit, you know, more about kind of what that organization does in its mission. So um, we are abolitionists in every sense of the word. So, yes, we are, are trying to abolish... Um, the prison industrial complex. Um, we don't feel like, like cops and cages need to exist. But we are also slavery abolitionists mm-hmm. because slavery still exists. It does. It still exists. In the Constitution. In the Constitution. The 13th Amendment has that big exception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that huge exception. And we want no exceptions. And we want no exceptions. <laughs> and that exception has been doing so much work. Mm-hmm. So much work. Which is why we have the biggest prison population that has ever existed in all of history. Right. Because of that exception. Right. And those people are slaves. And so one might ask, we abolish prisons, jails, these cages that people are put in. Mm-hmm. Um how is that managed when a community member is harmed by another community member? Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, is, is it restorative justice approach? Is it, is it, does, is it a different type of timeout <laughs> um, that the person, that the, um, that the person that committed the offense, what, what happens there? Because I think we all just used to, Hey, this person committed a heinous crime. Yeah. They deserve to be put in the cage, right? Right, right. So the idea of abolition is, is if, in order for it to work, society right. has to change completely right. Right. and at a very fundamental level. So we have to not just ask ourselves about how long people should be in jail. Mm-hmm. We have to ask ourselves as a society, why are we producing so many people that we have to put away? Mm. And the answers to that are we have so many people who live in communities that are under-resourced, mm. people who don't have health care, people who don't have uh, places to stay, people who don't have food, people who don't have have jobs that allow them to, to, to live. Make a livable way. Yeah. yeah. And so... That's where we begin with abolition. Okay. We begin with that. So what we're talking about is nothing less than a f- wholesale change in how we deal pretty much with everything in this society. Um, and one of the things that, 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 that really bothers me when I deal with Americans in particular is this, um, this American urge to to uh, punish people, mm-hmm. and we uh, enjoy watching people su- suffer and get what they deserve, and that gets in the way of developing systems that don't have punishment at the center of it. Right. Because if you think about it, all of our institutions, including the institutions that are supposed to be helpful, they all have punishment and coercion at their core. Right. They're all punitive. Right. Yeah. And we learn it, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we adapt it in our parenting, and mm-hmm. then it's adapted in schools. Mm-hmm. And then you really getting prepared for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do end up going to jail or prison, mm-hmm. you've already been kind of, you know, Yes, because trained. all of our institutions are just different flavors of prison. Mm. All of them. Mm. And so get rid of everything. Tear everything down. And start addressing the things that are putting people in those situations to end up in a courtroom. Yes. Yes. Now, what type of accountability as community members do we have to... Our accountability is then directly to each other. Okay. Um, Because the whole idea of putting putting someone away for a certain amount of time is not addressing what happened. Exactly. It is absolutely not addressing what happened. Right. Um, 
So transformative justice, restorative justice, justice tries to get at what happened between these people mm-hmm. that led to this harm. Right. And what, what can we do to address it? Right. And what can we do to keep it from stopping again? Mm-hmm. And so I believe that um, the more we try to do that, we strengthen relationships between people. Right. Um, we allow people to grow beyond the mistakes they made and the harm they caused mm-hmm. and remain in community. And then we don't end up um, destroying people and communities in the name of public safety. Right. Yeah. That's 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 deep. I think that is really hard for a lot of people to wrap their mind around yeah. because we don't know I think this especially in the United States, you know, it has to be so much unlearning. Yes. So much unlearning and you know, it has to be has to be a lot of acceptance too, right? Yep. Especially when you're talking about transformative or restorative justice because that means if I committed an offense against either, that means I have to take accountability and admit, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I hurt you. Directly to me. Di- directly to you, right? Not through a third party. Directly through direct- a third party. So I have to say, Theta, I'm sorry that um, I killed your brother. Mm-hmm. I apologize. Now, what you gonna do to make that right? Right. How can I? How can I make you whole? Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to make you whole? Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and right now, the quickest answer for our state, uh, our country, is to put me in jail for for life, mm-hmm. possibly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it gives that's money. That's another money piece of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, we're restorative justice. That's, that's that looks different. It looks very different. It looks different. Mm-hmm. You know and I, and and that's something both parties got to agree to, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's where the unlearning comes from. Because you may feel like, nah, just throw Jerome away for life. That like I don't want to, ain't I don't want to see Jerome. I don't want to hear his apology is not gonna bring my brother back, right? Right, which you won't, because the harm has been done, right? You know, so that that apology, I don't want that. I want him to, I want him to just suffer in a cage, right? You know, but- how do we unlearn? How do we how how does the victim get past that, or what, like not even get past? How and, and and as my work as as a as a victim advocate mm-hmm. and counseling victims, I've seen people get past that. I've seen people know and show love and care and concern to the person that harmed them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen them show, you know, care about how. That is impacting that person's family. So people can do it. Right. People do do it. Right. Yeah. It just, it just takes time, I, I suppose, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And support. And support. Mm-hmm. Okay. You all do a lot of policy work, too. Yes. You know, um, especially around prisons. Mm-hmm. And trying to abolish some some things around that too. Y'all just yeah. trying to abolish everything. <laughs> and so, can you tell can you tell us a little bit about some very harmful um, policies, especially around prisons? I know one in particular that I've been following is that fifty one years. Yes, you know, which is um, a relic of the ninety four crime bill. Okay. So, um, what we have been trying to do for several years now. Um, six or seven, maybe even eight years, is attempt to get our 51-year life sentence. So there are three possibilities in in the Tennessee sentencing structure. So you have the life without parole, then you have life with parole, but that's 51 years, Mm -hmm. and then you have the death penalty. So the 51-year life with, uh, you can't go to parole unless you've done 51 years. Well, no one lives that long. Right. So it's actually a, 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 death a second death, death sentence. sentence. Right. Um, and before the 94 crime bill, it was 25 years. So you could, you could go up, up uh, before the parole board in 25 years if you had served 25 years, which gives people a chance to... to um, because most people are convicted of their crimes when they're young. Mm-hmm. So if they're in their 25 years, they're still, they still have a chance to live a life. Right. And um, 
have a second chance to to um, to be better. And we know people who have have come out, and they have been such a because when you're in there, you change, right? You mature, yeah. you grow, and they've come out and they have really contributed to society, which they would still be in there if it was a 51-year right. sentence. Shout out to Raheem Buford, because he, he, he wanted them ones. Yes, he you is. Know? He yes, wanted he them is. ones. And um, how much we would have missed if he was still inside. Right. Mm. Yeah. So um, we got it through the Senate, the state Senate, last session. And it would pass overwhelmingly. We only had like a handful of people who voted against it. And the um, persuasive argument was about second chances and redemption because everybody deserves that. Um, but we were not able to get it through the House. So um, it's not dead. We're still working on it. Right. So we're considering what our options are for the next legislative session. Okay. And then the other thing that we're working on, we alluded to when we talked about the no exceptions clause that is um, in the Tennessee state constitution. It is going to be on the ballot in November okay. for people in the state to, to vote on and um, remove that exception from the Tennessee state con constitution because, you know, the 13th Amendment doesn't allow individuals to own other people as slaves. Right. So the government, the state, shouldn't be allowed to own people as slaves either. And so, what would so getting that um, exception clause removed? What freedoms and rights do those individuals that are incarcerated get back? Um. Do they get back voting rights? Do yes. They give, okay. Yes. They they that's the main thing. The, okay. That come that that changes. And then the other thing is that you know when you have a a um, provision that allows people to be discriminated against, which is what that does. It creates second class citizenship for people who have been convicted of a crime. Right. And so they can be discriminated discriminated against in housing. They can be discriminated against in employment. Right. Um, and that uh, keeps them from being able to reintegrate into society. Definitely. So we need to um, remove that exception, you know, so so that they aren't slaves and right. so that they aren't second class citizens and it's just right. <laughs> I mean what do, you, what do you think about this Tito and this is something I've, I've been thinking about for years hmm. being a person because of just you know my social economic area growing up I have best friends that when I went to college they went to the penitentiary Yeah. some of them went to the penitentiary you know twofold I went to go get a masters they went back to the penitentiary yeah right um, and I always said, you know, once, because I understand what that F on their record, you know, prohibits them to do, like housing, employment, it just, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help, right? No. And I always said to myself, it's like, well, you know, if you served your time, right, that was issued by the, a judge, the state, a jury, whatever, right, you know, why do you need, why do people have to remind others all right, what that felony is going to be on your record when they do a background check. Why does that even have to... Man, it's that American urge to punish. Why does yeah, to punish, I, I Just want to see... Just we, we, I don't understand that. We get, we get some sort of perverse satisfaction from watching people suffer if we think that, that they deserve it. And, and what really saddens me about this is that we have, they have, this provision has caused um, a new Jim Crow, which, you know, right. yeah. that book by Michelle Alexander. Mm -hmm. But it has caused that. And um, for the most part, we in the black community have allowed it to happen because we look at people who have committed a crime and don't want to be associated with people who have committed a crime. So we are willing to let them be because we say, because we 
don't want to be associated with criminals. We're not criminals. We don't want to be associated with criminals. Right. It is, it is um, made us turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to people, to our neighbors, our family members, because mm -hmm. I have family members who have been on right. the inside right. and who have been under supervision. And we don't want to talk about them. Right. We don't want to talk about them because that's shameful. Yeah, and I think depending on, you know, kind of how conscious or woke or educated that you are, like, it, to me, it makes sense. You know, if you if you look at our history, if you look at the opportunities that we've been given, if you look at the systemic discrimination, oppression, like, you know, like, yeah, that's what that's what it kind of gonna lead to. If you don't if you don't have anything else, so when I see a brother or sister that went to jail for selling weed or whatever it may be, like, you know, I take in all those factors into into consideration. Like, okay, how'd you grow up? What opportunities you have? What opportunities your parents have? Well, how's that? How did that kind of domino effect happen generation after generation? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's let's yeah. But but like you said earlier. Because there are no, there's nothing in place at the beginning, mm -hmm. right? To say, okay, to deter that even from being an option, mm -hmm. you know, in the first place. Mm -hmm. Those resources in community, whether it's housing, you know, hunger, uh, you know, vocational school, whatever. It could be a lot of different things, right? Right. And they're just not there. So, yeah, what you, what you expect? And then propaganda. Right. You know, if, you, if this is all you're showing me that I can do. Or that I am, okay, well, you know, mm -hmm. let me not disappoint you. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> right. Right? And so I, that's why I'm not hard. I just can't it just, I just can't be hard on black folks or people of color, but specifically black folks. I just can't. It's hard for me to be hard on them because I just, I take on all those situations. Everybody's story different. And we don't have no room to fuck up. Because right. if you fuck up, you gone. Oh, zero. And that's, and, and that's why navigation is, is huge. Yes. And how to navigate this, like, this white supremacy. Because you know, most of us don't don't come from from money and resources that can make up for your fuck ups, That's right. right? And right. so you get one shot. You get one shot. <laughs> you get, and you that get is, one. That's not human. Mm -hmm. I mean, human beings fuck up over and over and over again. So yeah. when you when you expect people to not do that, then you're putting them in a situation where it's just a setup to fail. Right. Right. I, I don't think I would. If they was to put me on 10 years probation right now, I don't think I could not violate. <laughs> 10 right. years, you know, right. like, right. like, it is, right. like, it's. And, and considering um, that what is considered a violation or what is considered a crime is a political thing, you know, right. the things that you are more likely to do right. in your situation becomes a crime. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> and so you 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 brought up community, and I and I gotta bring this up because you know we were just recently on a panel together, mm -hmm. and you and you talked about unity mm -hmm. within our natural community, within our you know community organizations, mm -hmm. and you mentioned like hey you you haven't seen it since the COB Community Oversight Board for about five minutes when we were doing that it was like it was there. And it didn't last. It was gone. Why? Why? Was gone. And you've been doing this a long time, you know, um, successfully. I mean, it's not that long. I'm saying, but like, like I'm giving you your flowers. I'm gonna okay. give you your flowers. You know, we get we like to give people. You've been still doing young. it. You you still young, but you've been doing this a long time. Either way, a young long time, right? A young long time. You've been you've been you didn't seem more than most. You have a perspective. You have a lens. And you have a cognitive maturity. That you know, that 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 people that do this work like myself that haven't been doing it as long can learn from mm -hmm. and adapt because you've seen a lot of things that you know. Like I'm pretty sure you can look at some stuff and say, "Yeah, you know, I'm glad that y'all doing that," but ah, that might not work because like we tried this ten years ago or I seen and so in in and, and I know you gotta let people develop, right? You yes. gotta let people just go ahead and go down your own path and grow, right? Yes. Um, yes. And so that unity, that, that really stuck with me. Like, dang, you know, I wonder what Theta talking about. And so, but how can we, or how do we get back that, 
like how can we create that unity because you know when i talk to all these many people on these platforms right on this platform people want multicultural organizing and they say that's the way and coming together and right everybody you know everybody don't practice what they preach apparently but it seems like that's something that we know we need it to to to, to win right we need yeah. we need unity to come out successful yeah. and that doesn't mean <laughs> That doesn't mean we always got a partner on the same thing because we might have different perspectives and views in different paths, yeah, right? and, which is and, okay. And I think that's right. that's part of it because no one group has the answer. Right. And I feel like um, these issues are big enough and complex enough that even groups that seem to be doing something that are opposed to each other right. still have a place right? because we're talking about big, complex issues. Right. So... If I'm doing this here and you're doing this here, right. it's both. It's coming from both ends. So I, I feel like like one of the things we need to do is what I was saying on the panel. We need to give each other some grace and be gentle with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we're way too harsh. We're way too harsh with each other. Um, Should it some be- people will say that I'm uh, that I'm harsh to people too, but... <laughs> But sometimes though, harsh can be love though. I I believe because yeah. you because you love yeah. somebody so much and because you care for them. I ain't gotta be love because you care. Like sometimes, like you know, sometimes your your mom or your daddy whoop you because they love you and they don't want to. They they save you for something else. You know, from a, from how this can like if you do this in another environment, this it can be detrimental to you. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is one of these things that 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 I, I, I struggle with because um, I don't quote the Bible much, but this is true. You know, there's nothing new under the sun and there's a right. time and a place for everything. Right. Um, and that is in the Bible. Um, but the key is knowing when is the, when is the time and when mm-hmm. is the place. And when you start dealing with harshness and negativity, most of us can't stop. Right. We go way too far than what is warranted. And it's also the first place we go. Yeah. It's the absolute first place to go. And it should never be the first place. Well, you know, and this is something I've been guilty of myself. And, I again, got to unlearn and and really it's self-hate. Mm-hmm. Because we've learned, especially I think as a as a black man, I've learned to respond to other black men with aggression, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, okay, it might be a situation where you don't like how I'm doing something, and you let me know that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I don't like it, mm-hmm. and so therefore we got now you you are you are opposition. We got beef because you gave me maybe some constructive criticism, right? Right, but because I didn't because one I don't even think you should be even give me any type of criticism at all mm-hmm. and because you look like me and I, and this is how I've been learned to take these type of things mm-hmm. now I want to escalate to something physical probably right, right? right. so yeah so I had to right. you know I've had to check myself on that you know just personally and had and then again just learn that just because theta is doing something different uh doesn't take away any of the credit or take away any of the impact that she can have and I should, I should champion that mm-hmm. instead of saying, "Well, they either doing this and it gonna work because da da da." She should be doing right, it. Right. Where where I think a lot of it's easy for people to do that. Right? Yeah, and I can't put myself in the position of, of what's gonna work and what right. isn't because you know the things I'm doing ain't really working either. White supremacy is still in effect. Right, right. but and we I be- haven't stopped. <laughs> so I, obviously, I, I, I you know. I can't tell you what that's not gonna work. And that's why I like if you trying, I'm championing you. Even yeah. if like if you trying, I'm a champion you because it's like you said, it's so complex and you know, we all fell in, in some type of way, form or fashion. Right. 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 And I'm a champion if you trying. I and it, it, we don't have to be adversary about that. Now we can have private conversations about, you know, like mm-hmm. You know about our differences or about like strategy and models. Strategy and models, and we can leave that table. And we always have to talk about whether people are acting in integrity, which is right. which is another mm. conversation. Yeah. Um. Whether people are t- acting in integrity and good faith. Mm-hmm. Um. 
but these are conversations that that have to be happen that have to happen openly and transparently apparently right, right. and involve and involve the community right. we can't just it when especially when we're talking about integrity and good faith yeah that's not uh something that should that should be happening with everybody knowing what's going on right. and what is happening you know we have um we have judicial elections happening right now. Mm-hmm. I think like May third is is the voting day. Mm-hmm. We got school boards. Some of the seats, so those seats are up in twenty twenty three. You have the mayor mm-hmm. up for election and council members. Mm-hmm. So it's just two important years, you know, for elected officials and for Nashvilleians to to have their voice be heard through voting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Two part question. Um, what is your thoughts on voting and the impact of voting? Um, and then the second question is, um, how important are these, you know, elections that we have in this year and next year on what Nashville looks like in some cases the next eight years and in some the next four years? It's very important. Um, and voting is very important if you can vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, so we have so many people who can't vote, right. which doesn't mean that they don't have a part right. in our um, in the process. Mm-hmm. So um, I know one of the things that I definitely want to see, which I feel like um, configurations like the Black Nashville Assembly are trying to do, mm-hmm. is really, really bring in people who are disenfranchised and let them be a part of the process mm-hmm. as they should be because because they're usually especially when it comes to the judges and the DA right they are the ones who get who get ate up and chewed out right so to not have them not have any say in what's going on right no we got we no we got to make sure that they get represented in right. this process um and so voting is important but it isn't the only thing. Mm. And once people get in office, voting is like the bare minimum. Right. It's your bare minimum. You've got to do more than that. We've got to do more than that. We don't have the luxury of just voting and then forgetting about it. Right. Um, and the only way anybody in those positions, you know, and we have I have some good-intentioned people who are running for these offices. I really believe that they have good intentions. These are good people with good intentions. Mm-hmm. But those offices are corrupting because the system is corrupt. So if we do not hold them accountable, they will go in there and they will, as so many people have, gone mm-hmm. in with good intentions and just become part of the system. And it's because we allow them to. So this is interesting. I've said this, you know, the system is bigger than one individual, mm-hmm. two, three, four. Mm-hmm. And I feel that regardless of all the good intentions you have, you kind of compromise once you enter that system, right? Yes. Because you can't control everything that happens, right? Right. right. Um, and there's so many other factors at play. Yes. It's, and those factors don't go our way. Right, exactly. That's, that's it, not, it's, not a, it's not our desires that are being enacted automatically. And so, <laughs> and, 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 you know, and that's why me personally, when it comes to elected officials, I don't, I don't really, I'm not too harsh on them either yeah. a lot of times because mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, some, like some of them, yeah, some, some some of them you have to because some of them are just blatant, right? <laughs> some of them just blatant, like come on, like you just blatantly perpetuating harm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then some just I think are just victims of just a system that they their hands are really tied. They can't they can't as much as they as much as they talk mm-hmm. and have a plan, mm-hmm. the system has a different plan. Yes, yes, and so. You know, I feel it's important for us to have people on the inside mm-hmm. who um, come from and are genuinely connected to the community. Right. Um, but that's not going to work unless there's a stronger outside game. Right. Unless the people on the outside are strong enough 
and consistent enough in keeping them accountable. So, this, <laughs> we finna get to some stuff right here. So, look, <laughs> speaking of keeping the people accountable, right? Mm hmm. I'm gonna talk about. I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on um, our black elected officials right now. Mm. Right. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, we can be black folks tend to be harder on other black folks mm -hmm. um, because of proximity. Because we we, we expect we, more. We them. expect more, right? Mm -hmm. Whether fair or not, that's how that's what we do, right? And what I tend to see happen. With that accountability, right? Mm -hmm. People start taking stuff personal. Yeah. Um, and I think language is important around that. Mm -hmm. um, because if I call out a council member or any elected official that may be black, and if I don't choose my words carefully, um, it can come off as a personal shot when I'm when I may be really talking about the system that they're perpetuating and not the decisions that they may be personally making, but how they're perpetuating harm against folks and against community by the decision uh, within within that system. You know, is it how do we how do we work around or is there a workaround or is there a language that could be used where I can address him or her in that elected official position and they really understand that, like, I'm not taking this shot at you personally, Theta. Like, you just happen to be in the seat of a system that I have a problem with, that I feel like that you're, that you're assisting in the, hurt, in the harm of community. Like, and it seems like those lines get blurred, get real blurry um, between... The personal and like, hey, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm not attacking you personally, but I'm attacking the system that you are employed by. So here's what I feel about that. It is more incumbent on the person who's in power to, to understand what the person who is, who is affected by it mm -hmm. is coming from than it is the other way around. Okay. Um, I agree. So... We're coming in, and and police are the the best example. Police are very nice to council people. They come in. They're so personable. They're so nice. Um, they're so reasonable. Um, but they're not reasonable when they pull you over, you know, and beat your ass. Right. You know, but the council person not gonna see that. Right. Um. So when you are talking about getting your ass beat, mm -hmm. you're going to be upset. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that's understandable. So right. if you're going to represent people, you need to, under, you need to have that sense of urgency. And I, that sense of urgency is missing mm. from all, from, from, do I know anybody that I feel has that sense of urgency? Very few of them do mm. understand. You know, folks are dying. Right. Folks are dying. Every time the police come up and, and what's coming to my mind is, is that incident in Napier where they ran after that boy through the streets mm. shooting. And um, that entire neighborhood was traumatized by that. But yet, you expect them to trust the police and look at the police as their friends when they are, have no problem running through their neighborhood shooting when there are children outside. They don't care about those children's safety. Right. They have no problem with that. And so, but you expect them um, to have respect when they talk to you? Right. They kid could have got shot. Right. Come on. So there is no sense of urgency. There's no sense of... They're killing motherfuckers. Right. Yeah. And and it's and it seems like even from community though, it's not a huge sense of urgency from a from the majority population. 
Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's comfortability, if that's, you know, people, people or comfortability. That it's, thing. A, it's a measure of how some of our neighborhoods are completely isolated from the rest of the city. Because, mm. you know, they're not going to. They're not even going to do that in my neighborhood in Madison. Right. They they know where they can get away from with that shit right. and where they can't. Um, so those places where they run amok like that are so isolated mm. from everybody else. Right. Nobody else is having that experience. Right. And so you can easily ignore those people over there. Right. Are you, do you think we're t- from from community perspective? Do you think are we are we taking the most extreme measures to to really get shit changed, or are we, or what do those extreme measures look like? Because, you know, then this is again this is a this is another hot topic, right? Mm-hmm. On how far you want to take it, mm-hmm. and you know, no, we're not taking it extreme. We're trying to work with the system. And this is and this is mm-hmm. my approach right now. This mm-hmm. is my approach. This this has been my approach for for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think. The, the issues that we're trying to solve, combat, um, get rid of, abolish, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it happens diplomatically. I don't think it happens. I'm, let me let me be clear. I don't think it. I don't but think I don't believe it happens in a diplomatic way. At like, it's, I think it's another. No, I I agree with you. It doesn't happen within the system. But one of the things that that I know and that I'm committed to as an abolitionist is to start building those alternative right yeah those alternative structures right. within the community within the community building those up is and it happens right. all the time is a challenge to the system but if they would leave us alone and let us do it and yeah <laughs> we should have a, a safer city and and, and I think too <laughs> and this is what I'm a big advocate for mm-hmm. Um, economic power. Um, if, if, and I believe you know everybody's working look different, be different, right? Mm-hmm. But, but maybe maybe my, this is people that are listening that want to you know to want to do the work, or maybe don't want to do the work but want to be want to have some type of impact with the work that's being done. Mm-hmm. If you're really good at making money, mm-hmm. if that's what you do, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think the best thing that that person or organization company can do is if they really want to help Athena Murphy build that parallel system mm-hmm. is give you hundreds of hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to do that. I agree. Because, because if I get money from the city, the city's going to co-opt it and r- control it. And I, and I think I th- that's why I, that's so that's why I am. I'm on and, and everybody has like a like. I guess their primary agenda they feel like they want to work towards to to create that parallel system. Mm-hmm. Mine is always building black economic power. Right. Because I feel like you can have all the ideas, you can have all the plans. Um but if you don't have the economic resource to see them through without having to ask the same system right that is perpetuating the harm that is ha- that is causing you to have to react in creating a parallel system. Mhm. That's kind of that's a, that's a that's a tough space to be in, right? And so, um, I think that's why my mind years ago shifted into I need to build an economic power base so I can do if I have it I can donate a million dollars to BNA, right? I can right. donate a million dollars to Path, right? You know, no exceptions, no exceptions collected, like all like. And so, and I, I, and maybe there's those people out there, you know. And if they are, you know, hey, right. <laughs> you know, throw the money they way, you know, right. throw the money they way. Right. But I think, you know, that black economic power, just economic power in general, that's a wheelhouse we have to have if 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 we don't want to have to go to the same system that is perpetuating the harm against us, that that is causing us to be reactionary to build these these organizations and these parallel alternatives mm-hmm. um, than what's going on. Right. I agree. Yeah. But I know that that if that whenever we have attempted, it's not like black people have not done this, but when we do it, we get I-40 through the middle of our neighborhood yeah. and our business district. Yeah. That's what happens when we when we succeed in doing it. And I think we have to just <laughs> learn, right? We got to learn. We got to take that. This is like, okay, 
like how do we how do how do, how do I how do how do how do I how do I donate a million or five million to the No Exceptions Prison Collective, and and then they be able to build something to prevent that from happening again, yeah. right? Or is it or is it doing what others have done? Like, okay, I have my economic power. Now I know Black National Assembly is building this Black political agenda. Mm-hmm. They're gonna need money to push that because. Right. You know, they got a lobby. Right. They got to play the game. Right. And you need money. Right. And so, like, so I think, like, let's make sure our NSA won't come through because we have electives that we, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, we have officials that, you know, mm-hmm. hey, this is, they, they are, they are aligned with our agenda because we have aligned their pockets. Right. Which right. that's how that goes. Right. Right. Which you can do at a local level. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly. the power of local politics. Exactly. Which is why I don't really fuck with national politics that much because the powers in local, the powers in local politics. That's 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 a fact, and that's why these judicial elections are so important. The eight years they're crucial. <laughs> yes. They're crucial. Um, Theta, um, man, it's so much we can get into. We will have to do a part two, but I have you. And, I have and you. And I need some pizza. Yeah. Oh, part no, two. I'm hungry. <laughs> The system worked up an appetite. Hey, um, you know, it's a water right there. Uh, you know? uh, 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 no. It's a, it's a water right there. I see it. Uh, you know, take a couple of sips of that. But um, is there is there any message that you want to leave with our, our national community, our listeners and our watchers about just about just what's happening, what's not happening, and, you know, just how, how, how crucial times are and, and the urgency people need to have? during these times and especially within these you know election year and next year being another election year that's coming up so um i want people to to know because people get discouraged and think nobody's doing anything it's like well no people are doing yes a fact people, people are, are very busy people are doing, doing a thing. Lot. and that's that's our hope our hope is that is that people are not sitting around waiting for other people to come up with solutions mm-hmm. you have uh no exceptions you can you can you need to to find a place right. a political home so no exceptions black nashville assembly nashville community crisis response we are people who live in the community who are impacted who are coming up with the solutions to our own problems mm-hmm. uh free hearts i could name paths um so many so many on her voices uh-huh on her words so many and um choosing justice initiative yeah um, it's so and it's so, a lot we're gonna forget lot. some so we yeah. apologize to y'all yeah but but the point is mm-hmm. you can get involved and all of these organizations are doing different things mm-hmm. and have different approaches so you can get involved with something that fits in with you right yeah well, Theta, I appreciate your time, um, and sorry that you know we couldn't feed you today. <laughs> you know, uh, but that water is still right there. Uh, <laughs> but no, um, but no. Thank, thank you again. I want to give you your flowers uh, while you're here, and just thank you for all the work that you have done, that you're continuing to do, and not being discouraged, um, not not stopping, um, and just you know. Just that that black woman magic, all that good <laughs> stuff, and um and 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 thank you for just you know being also a teacher you know um to others like myself, even if it's not through conversations, just through your actions. Oh, thank you. You know um so no thank you um and people tap in with Theta, go to the website. Uh, apparently, I ain't seen a new website in a year, but go to the website. Don't, no. Don't be like <laughs> No exceptions. Prison <laughs> Collective website uh, or Theo's, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. Reach out to her, learn, um, ask questions. Um, and so until next time, and we'll make sure, you know, there's food. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Theo. All right. Thank you. All right.